0: hello Matt good to see you uh incredible uh, few days here for our favorite stock Tesla we'll be talking a lot about that today how's it going uh very
1: good thanks uh yeah it's been a crazy week crazy couple of weeks really I mean you know this, this rally has been going on for you know a little over a month now so uh certainly every every day seems like it's getting better than the, the previous day so yeah I think uh, I'm not unlike anyone else. It's just, uh, feeling very excited about where things are right now. But how about yourself?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. It seems surreal. Like, you know, um, you just think you, every day I wake up, I'm like, is this gonna be the day we kind of come back down a hundred bucks, <laughs> you know, and come back to reality a little bit and it goes up another 50 or a hundred, you know, yesterday, $110, you know? insane today it was up to like 190 dollars at one point temporarily i mean just watching it go up and down so quickly like that it seems so like i guess unhinged is the word i use like the market makers have kind of lost control of this stock and you know they're like i don't know how to how to set a bid offer spread and then you just have these you know (laughs) day traders and retail traders driving it up and it feels like kind of like one of those main stock movements that goes up and down wildly so fast right now and you kind of wonder where it's gonna settle out.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a bit of, of, you know, 2020 right now. I mean, we had a couple of those days in 2020 where it'd be up a hundred bucks plus. Um, there weren't many of them, but there were a few and, and volatility in general was just much higher than, um, you know, 2021 so far has seemed much more mellow. Obviously we had kind of like the, uh, the big consolidation, you know, touching back down under 600 for a while and, and the stock was, you know, more reasonable kind of daily movements of like 1%, 2%. Um, so so kind of having these sustained levels of, you know, much more drastic daily movements, and then up it was at 110 $115 yesterday. Um, it was just, uh, yeah, it's, it's like you said that the market makers seem to have, have kind of lost control of this, it's, it's kind of blown through all the resistance levels. And it's not clear where it's gonna go. So yeah, uh, it's been insane. it's been interesting to watch a lot more exciting for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Before we dive more into Tesla, we usually start with the macro markets. Anything of note that you're thinking about or seeing about the macro markets? I mean, I know there was that tweet with uh, Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk kind of piling in about hyperinflation or inflation and... And Kathy kind of threw some cold water on it a little bit and just like, calm down guys. Like, this, I don't think this is uh, something that's too, too serious. It's transitory. You know, there's other things coming up. I don't know. What do you think about that whole thing? That's sort of like the macro market, you know, signal in my head is when you have Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, and Kathy Whitall talking about something, it's sort of like pay attention. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit
1: uh, more partial to the inflation is a real risk uh, line of thinking. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this for a couple, a couple of these these weekly interviews that that we've done now. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the the government has never been really spending at, at these sorts of levels, and if you look at you know, like debt to GDP, it's at, you know, like World War II levels now. Um, but I think the thing that's different is, is after World War II, there was a, a pretty massive, you know, demobilization of a lot of the government spending. Um, you know, troops got off, you know, army payrolls and there was, you know, spending increases. And, you know, there was, a, I think, a general sense that you wanted to balance the budget and, and kind of, you know, start clawing away at that, that, that huge debt that was ramped up. And yeah. now I think you've got like almost the opposite. You know, there's this modern monetary theory, which just... <laughs> Uh, assumes that you debt doesn't matter, um, you know, as, as long as it's not, you know, like 300% of GDP, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know what the actual theorists would say. Yeah, um, back then,
0: World War II, like we were still on the gold standard, right? I mean, now yeah. we're not on the gold standard, and that allows modern monetary, monetary theory to sort of take over and the ability to print more money indefinitely, if they really need to or decide to, it's a whole new option that before being on the gold standard, wasn't really an option.
1: Yeah, so so that's a real risk, and, and you know the, the the way that um you, you know the this has always been fought in the past is is by raising rates. But if the Fed starts raising rates, then you know the the, the budget gets even worse. So the, the it, it seems to me just trying to play this through from first principles a little bit as much as you can. nobody, nobody really has a perfect crystal ball. Um, but it seems like something's got to give in this equation. Either you've got to, you know, tax like crazy or cut like crazy or just inflate your way kind of out of this by, by printing more money. And I think that's what's most likely to happen, which could lead to maybe it's not hyperinflation, but certainly a lot more inflationary pressure than, than we've seen in our lifetimes. So that's that's kind of where it, what I think will happen. I do think Kathy has a point, though, that there will be a lot of technologies that kind of provide a counteracting deflationary. Um, sort of pressure. So, but I I think in the short term, um, and maybe for some commodities and for some areas of the economy, you will see a lot of rising price pressure. I think we're already seeing that in wages kind of across the board. Every business owner I know is having problems, you know, retaining employees and needing to raise uh, wages. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's going to be a real, real issue in the short term, Uh, could impact equities. um, But in the long term, I I do think Kathy's deflationary you know um thesis makes a lot of sense
0: yeah yeah i mean i think there's a lot of change going on and i i agree the deflation deflationary uh pressures will offset the you know inflationary uh uh, symptoms you see going on right now um to a large degree but there's so much change in terms of labor displacement so much automation and ai advancements that you know kathy's talking about yeah that's true it's going to make production of companies much more efficient or much, much better. But at the same time, you're gonna have, um, you know, labor uh, ch- changes in, in, in work, you know, in, in employment. Um, truck drivers will be automated away. Fast food mm-hmm. uh, workers will be automated away. You know, like there'll be new jobs, like DoorDash drivers is a big thing, for example, now, or, or Instacart mm-hmm. drivers and delivery people. So there's gonna be a whole, like, there's a huge like cyclical change of labor allocation going on. But I think there's gonna be a net loss of jobs overall, like manual jobs that are gonna be hard to replace with new types of jobs. And you're gonna have a whole ton of people um that are going to need some kind of helicopter money or UBI or something negative income tax to encourage them to do something you're going to need something to um offset I think kind of the disruptive uh job displacement going on because of these technological deflationary forces so it's going to be a crazy decade and we'll just see what happens. That's my, yeah,
1: I think you're right. And my own background in in energy seems like the perfect microcosm of how this is going to to pan out. I mean, the the company that I was working for had 8,000 employees and, you know, they kind of grew their revenue by like one to 2% a year, mostly by raising electricity rates on on their customers. Um, And they've got like this huge overhead staff. They've got um, power plants that are more costly just on a marginal basis than you know new solar or wind um and at the same time they've got all these you know overhead costs and you know debt on their balance sheet that needs to be serviced and so um they've kind of got this model uh that is very rigid and, and can't um you know really cope with uh, decreases in price <laughs> on, on energy yeah. Um, and so you've got you know, this new technology that's going to come in. So you're going to have you know, winners like Tesla who are going to come in with like a solar and battery option that's going to be cheaper than your utility rates that are just going to continue to rise one, two percent every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to you know, take a lot of that volume away from those those companies. And, and I, I believe eventually they'll kind of collapse under the weight of their own cost structure because they've got this inflationary pressure. And you know, meanwhile, there's this deflationary new technology that's gonna, you know, disrupt, and it's gonna leave a lot of those, you know, great employees who I worked with and really liked. But I think it might leave them in a in a hard place. So it's gonna be a good thing overall for the economy because you know you're gonna be transitioning to lower priced alternatives. Um, but there's gonna be, it's not gonna be a smooth and gentle transition wow. where yeah. everyone is, uh, you know, gonna be winners. <laughs> it's gonna be yeah, uh, very hit or miss how how it impacts. Yeah. People absolutely
0: yeah so it's going to be fascinating but there's a lot of uh um ups and downs not it's going to be bumpy uh as you said not smooth so so right now we're in one of the bumps with all you know the some of the inflationary uh headwinds we see right now i think and we'll just see how it plays out macroeconomics is very very hard to predict um so, you know, we'll, we'll see. So moving on, I guess, uh, another thing we wanted to talk about was snap. I mean, that's a stock we like, uh, <laughs> took a huge hit, um, <laughs> from their earnings. Uh, it, it was, was down like,
1: like 33%, high. I think. in, in one yeah. day right after earnings, it was a huge, huge decrease it hasn't
0: recovered yet. Right. I mean, it's still, it wasn't like a temporary blip. It wasn't like a flash crash. That thing is still, you know, pretty, pretty, it's like in the fifties right now. Last time I looked, I mean, it's uh let me look right now.
1: Yeah. It went from like around 74, I think, to yeah. 54, 55.
0: Yeah. I think it was like 120 or 130 billion market cap. Now it's like an 87 billion market cap and it, yeah, basically overnight got cut down by 25% or 30% somewhere in that range. And I guess the earnings, you know, like, um, they, they said the Apple, uh, the advertising is less, profitable for them, the targeted advertising? Is that right? Because of Apple's Yeah, so, so, you know, Apple,
1: Apple has been, um, you know, uh, they pushed out in Q3, this new iOS 14.5, which had, um, you know, some some user privacy uh, changes. Um, Snap was kind of aware that this was coming thought they could, um, you know, more or less muddle through it and kind of figure out what the changes were and can kind of reestablish their uh, their advertising business um, in the same manner than that it had been, you know, prior to this iOS 14.5 update. Um, what they found instead is that they were having much more difficulty actually, you know, providing that that targeted advertising that their their kind of existing uh, customer base was relying on, all these, mm-hmm. these advertisers for these brands. Um, so um, what they said on the earnings call, which I thought was pretty interesting, is that um, the brands have really pulled back on the advertising just because they can't, you know, really clearly target those individual users that they were um, finding. But they did say at the same time that um, when they do their, their tests to kind of uh, check on the effectiveness of the advertising spend, and, and all the indications that they're getting from the data so far is that the, the advertising is just as effective as it had been before, uh, but they're kind of having a harder time justifying uh, or, or making making the data kind of show um, the way that it used to, how uh, effective the advertising uh, really is. So um, they lowered their guidance for Q4 by by quite a lot. Um, and so I think the the question uh, that the market's trying to figure out right now is is this kind of a to, to use the, the word of the moment right now is this a transitory issue, or is this something that's going to you know be a permanent um, impact for companies like Snap that can no longer advertise, can no longer reach the, the customers in the same way that they used to to provide that, you know, kind of very clear value proposition to their to their advertising, you know, clients. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a shorter term issue. You know, there's, it's clearly their number one issue right now is their priority to, to try to sort through, um, you know, th- this big change. Um, and like they were saying on the call, that the, the preliminary data seems good. It's just, you've got to kind of repackage that that value proposition. So I think this is going to be a a short term setback and I really like the, the longer term kind of VR, AR, uh, business that they're, um, you know, really trying to drive to in the future. I think that's going to be more important than kind of this short term change in advertising metrics. Yeah. But what do you you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm more of a bird's eye view trying to see the forest from the trees on snap and the big picture of where the future is going with the augmented reality and, Metaverse and how it's sort of like a seems like uh Evan Spiegel is one of these you know um incredible founders that has a vision that he's pushing and runs a tight ship. And, um, I think uh there's still a lot of promise and snap arising and becoming uh um bigger than Instagram and sort of like a, a rival to TikTok in some ways too. But also, they have mm-hmm. some incredible uh, camera technology of bringing like reality into the virtual world, sort of, so to speak, kind of blending them together into an augmented reality. So, I, I kind of see them at the forefront of that still. And, like you said, I, you know, that story hasn't changed. So, medium to long term, I'm still bullish on it. Um, the market cap at 80 something billion, you know, their total addressable market for anything metaverse related is pretty huge. So, um, i think there's still a lot of upside potential in the in the long term um, if they execute well but uh in terms of the quarter to quarter financials that's what i what i have you on the team for let me kind of have a picture on that uh, but long term I'm still very bullish yeah
1: yeah the, the interesting thing was they're they're cute Three numbers were actually pretty good. Um, you know, they were on the low end of guidance, but they, they still kind of met guidance, even
0: yeah.
1: even uh, considering uh, this this massive change that kind of came up midway through the quarter. Um, yeah. You know, it, so so clearly the, the the stock got hit on kind of the future outlook. So so they lowered Q4's guidance. I think Q4 is going to be a huge impact. You know, not only what do they actually post in terms of you know revenue and, and earnings,
0: Expectations um, but, must be a lot lower for Q4. You'd think at this point, right? Yeah, well, so, clearly,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, they they you potential. know kind of specifically lowered guidance. Yeah, um, but you know, I think the bigger picture here is is not you know what Q4 earnings are going to look like. That'll that'll impact sentiment and you know kind of short-term movement, but the The bigger trend, which I think is much more important is, you know, kind of retail is, is continuing to die. And so all these uh, brands that, you know, used to advertise or used to kind of use other, you know, media outlets, maybe, um, advertising on TV, it's just very clear that th- that's not as effective uh, as it used to be. So, yeah. you know, I think ideas like virtual malls or, you know, like virtual spaces where you can kind of try on things and brands have, um, individual experiences that, that they can kind of customize. There's some really cool things that uh, Snap is really leading the way on that I think yeah. will be a lot more valuable. I don't know if it's two years from now or five years from now, but that's the story yeah. that, that I'm much more excited about.
0: Yeah, me too, the, the future, yeah. Most people look out one year, a few quarters, and it's hard, you know, a lot of Wall Street at least looks out that far, but doesn't really see the picture that well two to five years out you know we've seen that with tesla for example so speaking of tesla man this thing's dropping knocking on a thousand dollars again on the doorstep of getting below a thousand dollars oh my gosh as we've begun talking it's really uh it's you know this thing's so volatile right now it's like wow it's uh i mean this thing could close to i mean the way it's moving it could get to the nine mid 900s by the end of today or could get back to 1080 i wouldn't surprise me either way i mean it's just so volatile right now those options must be super expensive right now right i mean
1: (laughs) yeah you you know like i've been looking at the the weekly options for a while now um you know and kind of before this all took off like a if you entered a, a option at the money like on a Monday morning. Generally they were priced around like $12 or so. Yeah. I was looking today. So on a Tuesday, you know you're taking off you know 20% of the the you know the, the, time. the time value. And it was like $34 for an at the money yeah, strike the money. this morning. Yeah. Wow. So it's you know implied volatility's kind of gone through the roof. But it, it should I mean I mean yeah. with these kind of drastic swings I mean we're we're moving $90 yeah. in a single day today.
0: It was more than, yeah. than that yesterday. So um, yeah. Very unclear, (laughs) yeah, yeah. They don't know what to do, and and I mean, let's speaking of options. I mean, I think we were going to talk a little bit about our uh our our options. We had a big um options bet uh, we put on like two months ago for you know when the stock was around what seven hundred twenty dollars at the time I think when we put it on.
1: Yeah, November
0: nineteenth expiry. And it was 900 call strike we bought for like an average price of like eight dollars or something like a, th- a bunch yes yeah, of- so
1: th- i think we initially put it on at around like ten dollars yeah um the stock kind of stayed stable for a little while and it dropped to five and so we doubled down We're like i can't believe that's only trading for five <laughs> yeah. so we doubled down we had a pretty yeah. large p- portion Initial- of these you know nine hundred call strikes a
0: thousand of them yeah a thousand of those contracts yeah and uh we watched it slowly go up over time to like 15 and went to like 20 bucks. And I'm like, wow. And like the first few weeks, then it went back down towards like $10 and slowly went back up to like 14. And like a week before earnings, it was at like 13 or $14. And I was like, let's just sell half of them now. (laughs) And, uh, Hold on to the other half. We'll hold on the other half till November. I, I was thinking, I think I said to us. And, yeah, we were both on the same page with that. We're both on the same page. We sold <laughs> half for like 13 or $14 to get most of our money back so we could hold the rest kind of like with house money. Um, uh, sort of like what I did with the S&P options about a year ago when I sold half in like December and kept the rest with like just thinking, all right, I'll hold on to the rest until January. So that's what we were thinking. And then we we then earnings came and it went up and it went up and we we're like, When earnings is great, but every earnings the stock sells off after. We were convinced and we we got like kind of cute and we we're like, all right, let's just sell it right before earnings at twenty bucks and we'll buy it back for like fifteen or ten dollars the next morning when the stock gaps <laughs> down. And sure enough, the, the the opposite of what we expected happened, and the stock just took off and kept going up and up and and yeah. it would have been well, a fifty or twenty five x return if we just held on to it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it so when when the stock was at like one thousand ninety or whatever earlier today, I'm sure that would have been worth, you know, I mean that whole we 100. had a thousand of those yeah. contracts. So I mean that would have been worth almost 20, like that would have doubled our, our fund just yeah. with that one position alone. I know, I know. So we had a nice, you know, two X return on it roughly. Um, yeah, you know, our thinking, which I thought the thinking was sound at the time um, yeah. obviously we weren't quite right but uh with earnings even if the stock goes up like 20 bucks let's say on a good earnings report the implied volatility on an out of the money option like that would generally collapse um, yeah you know when you've got a significant news event coming out of there so we were thinking there's a good chance you know we sell it i forget what it was 15 17 something or no it was uh, 20 21 i think we sold yeah. uh, the, the second. Yeah. So we're thinking, all right, even if the stock's up a little bit, you know, we'll, we'll just re-enter the position at like 18 or 19, you know, worst case scenario, maybe even like 25 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and instead the, the stock just like rocketed and never stopped. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I think we, we, we've had a couple of times where we've, we've, we've made these sorts of bets that, um, you know, our thesis was wrong. Uh, and so yeah. we, we've, you know, been, you know, burned on them this time. The thesis was right. And we just kind of didn't hold it long enough. Yeah,
0: so. We're, it was, it's painful. Yeah. Every day we've been chatting about, oh man, those 900 calls. If we just held on to, you know, it's like, we, we've done very well. We still have a lot of Tesla exposure. We have, a t- you know, in our fund, Yeah, but, and that's to be clear, the fund's home, doing very dude. well <laughs> in this environment. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it would have been an incredible month. Uh, if we just stuck to our guns on that one. Yeah. So what what's
1: your your takeaway? I mean, you know, we've we had an incredible 2020. You know, kind of a a solid 2021 for sure. I mean, you know, we're we're doing pretty well in the fund. Tesla's doing really well. I think we've mitigated the downside earlier this year and certainly taken advantage of of the upside, but not without our, our fair share of you know misses along the way, which is to be expected. But what's if you were to Kind of summarize what you've learned this year relative to to last year. What's the are there any meaningful takeaways, or is it just this is what you expect when you're you're going to play in options?
0: Yeah, I think it's sort of what you expect. But when you when I think what I need to what we need what we could do or you know is um when we do those options bets like that bet we did for the 900 calls, we knew that it was likely going to expire. We we looked at the probability lab on Interactive Brokers and saw it had like a. 10% chance of being above 900 by November. And we're like, no way, that's like a 25% chance in our minds, you know? So we knew it was probably not going to happen, you know, in our mm-hmm. minds, like we didn't think it was likely, but we liked the, the difference between what the options were pricing at the time versus what we could, what we thought the probability was. And that's why we took that bet. So we've done that a few times. We tried something like that with zoom and that kind of scarred us. I think we were up like five X, then we held on to it and mm-hmm. then it turned to like zero because we held on to it. And so I think that scarred us on this one and we remembered that but i think we just have to kind of be consistent and know some of these bets are like even though they're probably not you know going to be zero when they're right they're going to be a 20x or 10x or 20x maybe more return and so maybe we just have to like write down in writing like on a post-it note next to our computer screen that we would normally click on to sell the <laughs> to close the position so remind us like hey we wrote this down like we're going to stick to our guns like our plan is to sell like Maybe half of it um, when it goes up X amount, so that at least you can make your money back and then some, and then mm-hmm. keep the other half as like to see if your thesis plays out and sell it at a certain and and decide. So it's not an emotional decision or trying to like think like we can track like you know, there's always new information coming in, which is tricky. But I think yeah, it's hard. But I think writing down like the thesis and just sticking to that if you write it down is probably what I would I would say I would try to do next time. I don't know. What do you think, man? Yeah,
1: no, I, I mean,
0: I, I agree with that. I mean, we, we've we tried that a couple of times,
1: I, I think. We're, we're probably getting a lot in the weeds for some people, but I, I do think it's kind of interesting, you know, managing... Yeah. A fund professionally is. I think your your responsibilities are a little bit different than if you're if you're doing this in your own personal account. So I think that's, that's p- part of the reason too why we've not been so public about this trade in particular. We didn't necessarily want people to kind of follow us into what we viewed as a as a fairly high risk, you know, trade. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so we're, I think we're always going to do that one to kind of protect our investors and you know give them the benefit of some of our you know unique um, viewpoints here, uh, but also just to you know we want to avoid making investment, giving investment advice. yeah um, absolutely. but, but, you know, in this case, it's, we've had some rules like that in the past where, you know, we said, all right, if it, you know, a certain position gets up to X level, we'll sell. And we've had, I think several cases where, you know, the the position just never got up to that level. So it just kind of slowly whittles away over, over time. So that, you know, that's certainly one outcome. So you, you sort of need scenarios on the upside and scenarios on the downside. And then, um, uh, a lot of times, you know, the, the your view on something will change given, you know, two or three weeks. Um, I, frankly, just like the the 900 calls when when the stock was flat and, and the calls value dropped in half, I thought that was crazy. You know, now at $5, those 900 calls for November just looked insanely cheap to me, um, yeah. especially given kind of our view on on where we thought earnings would, would likely end up, which proved to be accurate um, relative yeah, to where Wall Street was at that time. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a it's a learning curve but you know i i think uh certainly just happy with where the fund is overall right now and it's been it's been really fun to kind of be a part of this yeah
0: yeah you can't make everything you can't do all the perfect moves obviously but it, it was a winning trade either way and we're happy about it uh so, <laughs> we'll take our yeah. 2x i mean most
1: most funds yeah. would be happy
0: with that you know a 2x yeah. return in like two months
1: or something like that if you get yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah Absolutely. So the Hertz deal—that's the big news. I went on Dave's uh, Dave Lee's pod, you know, uh, YouTube channel last night, um, kind of last minute to talk about it. We went over a lot of details. What do you think about the Hertz uh, deal, Matt? What are, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I loved it kind of right off the bat. Um, you know, a hundred thousand orders was like certainly a huge volume. I mean, I was never I didn't expect that sort of volume to come from any institutional you know buyer uh or corporate buyer i guess so i was just surprised at the sheer volume of it especially once i did a little bit of digging and, and found out that you know what hertz's fleet is like uh units something like that altogether so it's a it's a really sizable percentage of their entire fleet um so you know the order size was you know really impressive and, and to me like the easiest takeaway is just that it, it kind of um Makes the you know 2022 projections a little bit easier. If you're if you were at all worried about demand, not that we were, but you know that's um, just makes it even easier to to see that you know demand's not going to be an issue. It really is a production problem, like Elon said in these tweets. Um, but the thing that I think I'm a little bit more excited about is is just the fact that this is going to be you know rental units. So, I mean, everybody who I've given a, a test drive to or, you know, has just like seen a Tesla for the first time, they're like, whoa, this is amazing. They, they know about them, but they've never actually experienced one. Um, yeah. And so I think that's going to go a long way towards, you know, getting more demand in the long term and, and just, you know, I think awareness about EVs in general and Teslas in particular is still really low. You know, if you look at the overall general population, um, yeah. so kind of. This is I can't think of a better way to kind of spike that that knowledge uh, in the customer base than by you know getting you know uh, EVs out there for short term rental periods. So I, I love it. I, I, that's the part that I, I'm probably more excited about than the actual demand.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mark, you know, Mark Fields, the previous CEO of Ford or prior CEO of Ford, now the CEO of Hertz, I mean, there's a lot of backstory, a lot of detail, a lot to read between the lines with this. That That's what I find the most fun in this stuff is reading between the lines and speculating. And, you know, sometimes I read too much and I read too much into things, but sometimes I find like interesting tidbits that turn out to be true and, I just love trying to speculate on this stuff but I mean Elon obviously his um stamp of approval is on this deal right it's a big deal it's not just some regular customer that he has nothing he he has nothing to do with like he had to approve this special deal and so he's giving like uh he's vouching in a way for Hertz and you know he he wouldn't make this deal they have plenty of demand like they're not demand constrained whatsoever so there's something here that Elon sees in Mark Fields and Hertz I think and maybe there was some discussion directly between the two and they're open to making this a robo taxi fleet or that that's what their pitch was to Elon. Elon's like, okay, you know, I don't know. There's, there's something special about it. I can't quite put my finger on it. Do you
1: think the, so I I was thinking about the, the autonomy angle here a little bit. Um, I think that's maybe going to be the hardest part to educate consumers about. And I'm wondering, you know, if Hertz would even want to purchase full self-driving for many of
0: these, Um oh, definitely. I think I think they would at least do the subscription for a large amount of them, and they would charge their um, customers, you know, twenty bucks a day for the extra access or whatever it is. You know, they, I, I think they they'll at least do the subscription, if not the full self-driving. What do you you don't think so though?
1: Yeah, I'm just not sure with, with the beta. I mean, I could see next year sometime if it's a little bit more smooth. I could I could see them you know wanting to have that and, and maybe there's some sort of um, contract that kind of allows them an option to to buy at the current price or something like that. But um, you know if you've got people kind of driving a Tesla for the first time, um, which is frankly a different driving experience. I mean, there's a lot to get used to if you're just coming from an ICE car driving your whole life. Um, probably, especially regenerative regenerative braking, um, but full self driving. Um, I mean,
0: it you, it requires a lot of oversight with with the way that it does things right now. Yeah. So um, in the current state, you're right. I think you're right in the current state. But I'm thinking like a, Elon in his mind, yeah. and probably you know, in a year from now, end of next year, when they complete the order, like I think he's thinking that robo taxis will be able to be turned on, um, give or take a quarter or two of timing, but That's about the timeline where i think it'll be turned on and be the largest asset price increase in history that he's referred to and so i i think it's a it's um at that point these cars are no longer rented to customers these are this is a fleet operation of robo taxis that hertz manages you know and so you're not renting the car out to an individual i think hertz is now a new business model for that segment of cars like they'll still have Maybe they'll have a few of the electric cars for people to rent here and there but i think the vast majority of the teslas will have full self-driving level four slash five enabled be level five whatever and and be able to you know and have the capabilities maybe in europe it might take an extra year but in the us yeah more likely with regulations or whatever but in the us um but they would in elon's mind at least and he's usually correct on this stuff give or take a little bit of time uh you know, based on his timelines, but it, it, it will just be Hertz running a fleet of robo taxis. You know, like we've talked about it before, like you ordered a bunch of cyber trucks, hoping to do that. I ordered a bunch, you know, <laughs> we order, but now Hertz ordered a hundred thousand Teslas and they're taking, they're putting the us all to shame. Yeah. Yeah. Like Florian, the guy you interviewed from Mr. Green, they're basically yeah. going to be a much larger version of what he's doing or what he's planning to do. Like it would be good to get his, pick his brain on it and see what he thinks because that, you know, that, he probably uh, has a lot of insight on this too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should get him back on here because it's, um, it's a, it's a, a pretty meaningful development, and and it really is, you know, kind of option value on on the future. I mean, those those assets that they you know they're buying for, you know, full price now at, you know, call it, you know, forty five, fifty thousand um, dollars. It could be worth, you know, one hundred and twenty, hundred thirty thousand um, dollars, something yeah. in that kind of ballpark you know, yeah. overnight if if yeah. um, if this pans out. And so then if you think about what, what would that do for, you know, Hertz's market cap and for their business model, um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Now, obviously there's a huge amount of execution risk in there, um, you know, on, on Tesla actually needing to not only get full self-driving to the point where it's, you know, good and reliable, but uh, there's, there's regulatory risk and, you know, a lot of things that would need to kind of go right to, to get to the point where there's actually robo taxis, but
0: yeah. the downside
1: here I think is probably zero because these, these vehicles are going to retain their, their value better. They're going to cost less to, you know, fuel up. They're going to cost less and less in maintenance. So, you know, I think Mark Fields and, and the Hertz team is saying, okay, but you know, the total cost of ownership um, is really low for us, especially for a rental company, which only uh, typically holds the, the vehicles for, I don't know, maybe a year or two uh, puts on, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 miles and then then typically sells them, Uh, resale value is like the most important single driver in in their business model right now. So even if autonomy is not in the cards, um, they're still gonna do really well just from uh, retaining this this residual value much better than ICE vehicles do today. And if you fast forward, you know, three years to the point where they'll actually be trading these in, um, I can imagine ICE vehicle residual values will be much lower than, and probably EVs uh, residual values will be even higher.
0: So how about this? How about Hertz? How about Hertz, you know, sort of like a, not a meme stock or SPAC or, you know, HTZZ, it's not uh, on the exchange listed again. Once it's on the exchange listed again, more people will be eligible to buy it again. Mm -hmm. Um, But what if that stock starts creeping up on this news? You know, it's 12 billion mark, 12 or 13 billion market cap, What if it creeps up to like a 20 billion market cap company because of this, then they announce another deal to buy a hundred thousand model Y's and it creeps up to like a, 30 or 40, and then they raise capital to buy another hundred thousand. They could be like funded by the public who are buying into this idea of a massive, uh, robo fleet of taxis. That's kind of, you know, it's separate from, it's not part of Tesla, but it's the biggest Mm -hmm. robo fleet using Tesla's. I don't know. I, it just just seems to be something more potential that could develop out of this. That's like really interesting. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I'm just imagining like the possible upside. Yeah. you know,
1: I was digging into their S one, so you know they're they're going to be you know traded. Um, I don't know if it'll be on the, the New York Stock Exchange, but um, they're only net, so. over the counter right now, and, and so they're they're trying to to get to a broader population right now, uh, yeah. which I think is good. I mean, their, their valuation is um, pretty reasonable, I think. Right? I mean, they're they're basically just valued like the other car companies. I think it was like twelve times EBITDA, something like that, or, yeah. or sorry, other rental companies. So I think there's a play there, you know, the, the question yeah. in my mind is like, if you were to just say, a, buy a leap, you know, which you can't do right now, because it's, it's yeah. over the counter. Uh, but say you got like a January 2024 leap. I, it's probably unlikely in my mind that autonomy is going to be, you know, robo taxis will be ready, like by then, right. maybe they
0: will. Um, yeah but, 50, you know, that's my fifty-fifty 50 mark january 2024 would probably be my fifty-fifty mark yeah. yeah i i guess I, I probably need to see a little bit of the
1: what's the rate of improvement especially once dojo goes live which uh, i don't know if you got a chance to see that
0: paper that they they put out today. i haven't read it yet but i'm looking for i mark bookmarked it in my tweets i'm gonna i felt really dumb it. when i tried to read it i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sometimes these things you feel dumb. you just want someone on Twitter to like explain it in layman's terms that you trust, you know. And yeah, so, James
1: James Dalma did a really great job. Yeah, of his thing. Yeah, kind of but summarizing it, 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 it. I
0: almost feel dumb reading his tweets sometimes. <laughs> I have to really focus to like pay attention and understand what he's saying. Yeah,
1: I, I think the the main takeaway I had was you know the the existing programming language um, that that's out there right now doesn't really work well for Dojo, so they're they're trying to get out um, this these alternative I think there were two different languages they were, they were proposing hmm. um, and so if they can get programmers to start using that then that can you know enable dojo to be used in other applications beyond just kind of Tesla's internal team so to me my, my takeaway is as an investor and I need to dig into it more um, but it seemed like a signal that they're thinking a lot already about how to kind of monetize dojo or at least use it for use cases more broadly than just kind of the internal tesla team so that i really like to see that so it makes me uh, encouraged and excited okay
0: yeah no i'm looking forward to that read that and understand it better i mean we're uh we can talk more about uh the morgan stanley upgrade i haven't really read through it carefully i've seen a bunch of these morgan stanley uh research reports and goldman a lot of them you know once you, i feel like once i read a bunch of them nothing really stands out special from them like the fact that it was Morgan Stanley is a big deal, obviously, because they have such a huge wealth management practice. But, um, you know, did was there anything, did you read the report? Is there anything that stuck out to you about the Morgan yeah, Stanley? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I've read that these, these Adam Jonas reports for a couple of years now. And, and like, I, every time I, I read one of his reports, I'm like, he kind of gets it. But, like, <laughs> it's not like, yeah. he, you know, reading through there, there's anything that I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. It seems like he's a little bit kind of behind the curve of, um, maybe where some of the, the retail analysts are, but you know, he's to your point. He's got a lot of clout with you know institutional uh, or you know like the, just the, the broader Morgan Stanley kind of like wealth management um, allocators. So the fact that he's he's bullish on it, I think, is is a good thing. But yeah, you know, I mean, I just think back to his his question on like uh, one of the earnings calls recently of like, oh, are we going to put Starlink on like Tesla on the Cybertruck? And he like for some reason he thought that was going to unlock like huge amounts of value, and he was like, "No, yeah. probably not. We won't do that." <laughs> so I don't know. It just seems like he's he's a little off base with what he thinks is is important versus not important.
0: Yeah, he said. I mean, I actually like that question. <laughs> but, oh, really? Yeah, All right, that's up my alley. That type of question, but he does ask a lot of questions that don't make sense. You're right, but yeah, um, there has been some. He's trying to like combine SpaceX and Tesla in certain ways. You know, I I, I think he wants to be kind of you know he's he's been one of the in, in in the institutional wall street sector he's like the top auto analyst i think and you know he for a reason and he wants to keep you know he, he, he you know he's smart in some way you know they, they've been so right on tesla early on like i remember back on they went on he went on cnbc and was like we were witnessing the birth of a new american car company that was like in 2013 he said that or 2014. I was yeah, like, yeah he gets it and then like a year or two later like he needs to like say something bearish or put like, you know, last year, two years ago put a $10 price target on Tesla for the bear case. Like, I don't know. He, it's like, he flip-flops too much. Yeah. You know? he, he
1: was very flip floppy, that cause yeah. he, he's he, like, I, I want to give him credit for being like kind of a middle of the road analyst. Cause he's not like a Uber bull and he's not an Uber bear but like some of the stuff that he puts out there, like that $10, I think it was a bear case target, but it was like, why don't you just say zero if you're gonna say 10, like, yeah, cause that was pre-split, yeah. I believe. So it was, yeah. it was basically saying that might go bankrupt. Yeah. Like why even bother with the $10? dollars trying
0: to appease all their clients, the bears and the bulls. And I don't know, just, I don't know. There's something that just seems inauthentic about it, you know, salesy about it, you know, that yeah. Me the wrong way a little bit. I agree. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, you got 10.3, you tried it out, right? I mean, um, the first time you tried it out, you got full self and it was like the buggy version and there was some issues, right? Or tell, you texted me a little bit over the weekend <laughs> and what, tell yeah. me tell us a little bit about your experience with full self driving 10.3.
1: Sure. So yeah, I got the, you know, that, that short lived version that went out on, on Sunday. So, you know, I, I drove that around for like five miles. Um, it was it was pretty buggy now I, I didn't have anything to compare it to uh at that point so i'm not sure exactly you know which of these issues were just you know, like the actual beta versus you know that that kind of buggy version of it but um yeah i had like a um a forward collision warning when nothing was happening there was kind of a lot of like sporadic breaking um and then the the Biggest issue, I think, is just it, it really was struggling with with lane keeping. Um, so I was on a lot of kind of residential uh, roads that uh, there are some areas without going into too much detail where, you know, there's kind of a, an unmarked passing lane. So it kind of widens out so you can like turn into a neighborhood um, and like the car was just always kind of like swerving in and out
0: of these, mm. these and,
1: um you One think it was, time, unsafe,
0: actually, or was it unsafe or do you think it was just it was it felt strange but it was unusual to how you would drive so
1: you for the most part it just felt unusual um you know the only time it was potentially it wasn't even dangerous but um there was a, a car behind me so inside my blinker on and it was kind of swerving into the passing lane to take like an ex exaggerated left turn right. Turn. Why? So I had to, you know, take over to prevent that. Cause uh, you know, then the person would just be really confused. All right. He's got his left blinker in and he's, you know, merging off to the right. It was just strange. Yeah. So I took yeah. over uh, on that. There were a couple of, there was actually some roads closed. And so I was trying to see if it would navigate around, you know, these, these closed roads and it didn't appear to be doing that. But I also maybe didn't give it enough time cause I had, I had a lot of, uh, cars behind me. So the, yeah, that, that first drive was, um, Uh, certainly not relaxing, I would would say, (laughs) Um, got, got the updated version yesterday and it definitely seemed more smooth. There were still some of that kind of lane keeping issues. Um, but generally speaking, it was, it was a much better experience the second time around. So, I I mean, I've heard some people kind of say that, um, you know, they, they think that the full self-driving is like a a more relaxing experience than driving on their own um from my perspective at least right now it still is it's a it's a less relaxing experience because just it, and i've only done it maybe you know 15 20 miles so um my my view may certainly change over time It just as i get more used to it but um i know my wife would hate it so like i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna drive it with her in the car yeah we'll i would drive her would nuts no um, either,
0: yeah.
1: but yeah, like for, for me i'm just like a nerd I, I love seeing okay what's it trying to do right now what is it thinking i love kind of um, yeah. Trying to experience that, and and what I'm really looking forward to is just what is the rate of improvement from here. So yeah. all these issues, I mean, I, I had a I had probably a dozen disengagements or so um, on, on these couple of drives that I did, and so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is it going to learn from that over the next couple of you know versions, and will I see made- improvements in my own neighborhood
0: it also initially i think a lot of the disengagements. i'm imagine it's sort of like the first time i was using autopilot i would imagine where like it's just so new and strange like i'm uncomfortable just naturally with something else like a computer controlling the car on the highway and i would just disengage it out of you know just a lot way too often Yeah. because i just was like whoa i don't know about this I'll, I'll take over before we have a close call here but now i'm like to the point where i'm fully relaxed i've you know and it's very rare that I disengage it. And even when I do still disengage it, it's probably not necessary. I just, it just, do you think yeah. you'll engage it less over time more because you're just getting more comfortable or do you think mm-hmm. it'll be like, you'll be able to measure actually how much better the system is getting?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm I think the right thing to do when you get the beta for the first time is just to be more paranoid and, and more yeah. vigilant. Um, so yeah, I, I was certainly, you know disengaging more than you know i probably will a couple weeks from now um, you know even I, I was the same software also,
0: for example yeah what's that even if it's the same software even if yeah like a month exactly. you'll probably be disengaging a lot less than you are now obviously exactly yeah yeah um, you know i,
1: I just don't want to have any accidents or anything at all so there were even even a lot of times just like if you're it it would do a turn perfectly like legitimately uh, but it just accelerates kind of quickly out of there, which is natural and normal. It's the way I would do it too. But you know, like it gets you know like a foot away from a parked car, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, please, like actually hit that! And then I'm gripping the steering wheel a little too too hard. Yeah. That's I think that's the the right behavior for yeah. a new beta tester to have to be a little bit extra yeah. extra paranoid. But that's not to say that the car was making a dozen mistakes. That's not uh, what what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it was a really really interesting. Um, kind of experience and I, I really can't wait to see how it how it progresses from here. Uh the rate of change is is gonna be really interesting to track. So I remember like a lot of the I I watch those, you know, Dirty Tesla, you know, Chris from Dirty Tesla, he does those yeah. um beta testing videos. And a couple of years ago he would do those like like automatic lane change videos and like it was horrible at automatic lane changes it was just like a terrible experience it would like abandon them halfway and he's like jerking back and it's like freaking out all the cars around him and and now it does that perfectly almost all the time um so i i know that the the rate of progress is the thing to watch not kind of an assessment of the current state because i mean anyone could look at the the you know worst Aspects of the current build and say, oh, it's unsafe, and, and yeah. I think that's kind of what you're seeing with some of this NHTSA, NTSB, uh, fud that's going around with you know, yeah. full self-driving. It's not actually full self-driving, and uh, yeah. so I think the regulatory risk is is real, and, and that's why I, I want to, you know, make sure that all the beta testers are kind of being extra vigilant to to avoid any sort of accidents or you know safety
0: issues. Yeah, absolutely so okay why don't we go on we've been talking a lot we've got maybe we can go a little longer for some q a and try to get to more questions uh go an extra 10 or 15 minutes if that's all right with you matt and alec behind the scenes running it and We'll start the QA portion now. Uh unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up, man. Anything else you wanted to bring no, up? No, no, there,
1: there was so much news this week. I mean, we hardly even touched on the earnings call, honestly. But uh yeah. um, it was yeah. that's almost old news at this point after everything that's happened. But uh Road yeah, just a really big yeah. news week for Tesla in particular. So let's get into yeah. QA.
0: Yeah, let's go into QA and see. Okay. From Ben twenty five on Twitter, does Hertz advertising Tesla validate Elon's strategy of media silence or just an isolated incident? You go first, man. I mean,
1: to me, it, it does sort of justify. I mean, the spending money on advertising when you are supply constrained never really made any sense to me, um, and so Tesla has remained supply constrained really since the for, forever, <laughs> um, and and so like now they're they're in this situation where they've got you know almost a six month backlog. Maybe it's not quite that long overall but Tesla should not, it, it would be a poor capital decision to spend money on, on advertising. Um, what I think is kind of remarkable here is that Hertz, which is now essentially a customer of Tesla, is now spending to um, you know advertise Teslas essentially. So Tesla's getting a, a benefit here, not only of the sale of these 100,000 vehicles, but also Hertz then spending money um, to advertise Tesla's in general. I mean, seeing like a Tom Brady Tesla commercial essentially was kind of jarring. It was a little bit weird, but um, in my mind, it's it's completely justified. I mean, I, I would expect eventually this will change. I don't know if it's five, ten years from now, but um, you, you probably need to spend some amount of advertising once you've got more of an equilibrium between supply and demand. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it still would be uh, a poor use of capital for Tesla to to start advertising. But what's your thought?
0: Yeah, I agree. Tesla and Elon do not need to advertise. Um, the one thing that was interesting about this uh, is is PR. And, you know, with Missy Cummings and this head of the NTSB being public about her her uh, lack of faith in full self-driving and, and, and request for Tesla to recall, you know, she's really bearish on Tesla's full self, her FSD um, she was just interviewed this morning by Phil LeBeau on CBC. I saw a clip and it was ridiculous. Like oh. example of cognitive dissonance right there, I feel like. But, uh, you know, with all the regulatory, you know, um, you know, uh, bearishness against Tesla's full self-driving, and recall require asking and such like I feel like it's great that now Hertz has a very has significant skin in the game and Mark Fields who understands that landscape because I think mm-hmm. they'll go to bat to some degree like if you get a few more partners like you know in, in institutional clients or partners like Hertz out there that are investing billions of dollars in Tesla's and they want to see the full self-driving come to fruition because it makes their assets go up too then they're gonna take over the PR for Tesla or fill that void in a way and help lobby against, you know, the unions and the legacy OEMs who are lobbying against Tesla, getting these heads of NTSB, you know, pointed to fight Tesla basically. So there's like a war behind the scenes, I think going on that Tesla, Elon is deeply principled and refuses to kind of fight in. But I think now that he's got like Hertz and maybe some others who knows, will come online those those players will help kind of fill that void and 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 fight against it to make it you know less unfair that's my thought
1: yeah i mean they they could use some partners in this fight for sure i mean it's it's kind of been like the the whole government against like tesla in, in general and, and elon in, in in particular and that's um <laughs> he's been pretty successful in kind of managing these these things in that lonely fight but i think getting getting more allies is always going to be a good thing yeah
0: allies yeah institutional allies to help do the dirty work that he doesn't you you know he's not going to do so yeah next question let's see here from hoops how on twitter what do you think of starlink competitor space mobile is there room for multiple winners in the lower earth orbit internet space i haven't studied space mobile to be honest is that the amazon project is that is that what that is or is that something different Mm, i'm not sure yeah space mobile might be some other star i mean there's literally hundreds of space startups right now. We can't keep track of them all. We try to keep our eyes on the ones that we think are important or relevant, most relevant. I have not heard of Space Mobile, but uh, we'll, we'll take a look if, if you know it comes up in our, our radar. We'll certainly dig into it. But I uh, haven't heard of that one.
1: Yeah. In, in my view here, though, is that like. Low Earth orbit is not um, where the money is going to be made in, in the long term. Um, you, what i like about rocket lab is that they they have this proven ability uh to get to low earth orbit to be you know, like a, a reliable commercial provider um the th- frankly the the second most reliable partner so so their, their credibility is established in leo but um i think the, the value from a, a business perspective is is in what they're calling applications so right now they're trying to really vertically integrate and um they've been a little bit coy with with some of the details um, but this it sounds like they want to build their own constellations and, and kind of provide services to Earth from uh, from these kind of in-house built and launched um, satellite constellations. And then they're, they're going to do more kind of beyond that as well. But, you know, I, I don't think, you know, when, when you're thinking about the kind of the these all these space startups, I don't think um, the the LEO Tam is in the, kind of like splitting that up among a group of winners. Um, is is the right way to look at that. I think it's going to be a a much larger market when when you got kind of lower cost services that can be provided from, from constellations like Starlink, like some of the the things that, that, uh, rocket lab has been hinting at. But, um, in, in my mind, that's kind of the, the order of magnitude, bigger opportunity than just kind of like LEO launch services.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Any new thoughts on Lemonade? Might this be a good time, given the stock price drop, to add more shares? Um, Yeah, I mean, long term, I'm still, I mean, it looks like a lot of these road stocks are taking a dive today, Lemonade included. Uh, But um, I'm still bullish long term on Lemonade. Um, We have have a significant exposure in our fund. Uh, It's down to $62 or $63 right now. 3.8 3.8 billion valuation i was comparing it to, comparing it to true panion which is like the main pet insurance uh provider and they have a real in with veterinarians and such tr- true panions 4.34 billion market cap and that's really just pet insurance as far as i know i mean i haven't studied them carefully but um i know lemonade is is fast growing in the pet insurance uh space but they've also got renters and car insurance is the real big one for lemonade um that could take a little longer uh to kind of come to fruition than i think people expected early on you know we see tesla struggling with car insurance they're talking about it's going to take a lot longer to get a state-by-state approvals and lemonade started probably you know similar time to Tesla but they probably don't have as many resources uh to be able to dedicate towards it as Tesla does and we'll see but uh yeah I'm I'm still bullish on Lemonade um so yeah we'll have to see it seems like a very low stock price relatively speaking 62 dollars but it could go lower um so it's hard to say Uh, Do you offer services to European investors? Yeah, I mean, our fund um, can take European investors, um, so that's not a problem. If you go on our website and go to the contact us for more information and you meet our requirements, then, yeah, we can certainly uh, take on European investors. Um, I know Canada, we cannot, um, but um, most of the world is not an issue. uh from nick e are you all exposed to crypto if not do you plan on it i personally believe once spot etf releases it will open the floodgate for crypto i mean i think um crypto we, you know we do have we do kind of play around in the crypto space through micro strategy right we'd kind of sell volatility or you know kind of do some options plays, selling options and um Personally, I think we've disclosed we both have some crypto. So, I mean, the the Bitcoin ETF came out for futures, and that's a huge uh, floodgate right there. The spot ETF uh, will be a bigger floodgate. So, yeah, I mean, crypto seem the Bitcoin at least and Ethereum, and yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Do you think they're gonna you, are you personally? Do you believe the spot ETF is going to make a huge deal versus what's going on so far? Or what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that a spot ETF is is going to be the kind of like the one thing that um, you know kind of opens the floodgates. I, I think, you know, what you're seeing with you know some some countries kind of making it legal tender, um, that's I think a really <laughs> Important symbolic step. It's it's probably not moving markets necessarily, but I think it's a it's a really important kind of symbolic step on the path to kind of greater exposure. Um, And then I think we've seen institutions kind of um, becoming quiet on this. I think maybe we were thinking there'd be more companies following in Tesla's footsteps to you know hold crypto on the balance sheets, and that hasn't really happened. uh, in a much more meaningful way yet but I, I do kind of think that things are trending in the direction where that will become more common over time um, and just frankly as, as the government at least here in the u.s seems to be getting kind of more irrational with you know um, spending and then like these wealth taxes and and um, this, this potential for kind of runaway inflation um, there's just there seem to be poor decisions being made and and i I'm seeing all these these poor decisions that are being made and, and kind of fast forwarding five years to what i think the likely implications of these these decisions might be um it makes me more bullish on crypto as a kind of a personal hedge and worst case scenario kind of like a get out of the, <laughs> the country not that i would you know really do this but i think there's a lot of people that would look at this be like okay if you're gonna impose like a, a wealth tax where you're going to take like 20 percent of a high net worth individual's wealth it might make sense for them to start holding crypto and just say, like, you know, let's let's get out of here and, you know, live somewhere else because everyone can work remotely anymore. And I think government might be overplaying their hand here a little bit. So I think that's yeah. those are the trends that I'm looking at a little bit more closely.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think digital gold is going to if there is one which seems like Bitcoin's going to be that. And there's certainly a place for it in the future. We, we're going to we're moving towards and. Bitcoin's here to stay, and and uh, yeah, I mean, we are exposed to Bitcoin to some degree, and it's part of our portfolio. Uh, personally, um, the fund itself cannot invest directly in crypto, but we try to try to get some exposure through some other avenues. Yep. From Ryan Sakasov. Uh, did you guys hear about Honda announcing their level three autonomous technology they are currently testing out stage four do you see any potential for them to compete with Tesla I'm not familiar with specific Honda there's announcements all over the place about this from every car company if the car companies are not making announcements about this they're you know the, the people the decision makers they're getting fired or marketers are getting fired so the, the test for for this is like when can i try the honda level three autonomous technology you know personally like i've had enough people i haven't tried the gm cruise control myself but i've t- spoken to people who have enough people real people who have not just reviews on magazines that virtually all the other uh auto, you know driver advanced driver assist systems you know level two level three whatever you want to call it uh, are not are, are really not very good compared to Tesla's. Um, So until I see people, regular everyday people testing out this stuff and using it themselves and saying, wow, this is as good as Tesla, then I don't think of it as a a threat. What do you think, man?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think you can, you can point to um, other companies that are more advanced within certain um, aspects of autonomy. Um, You know, I think we had a really good conversation, um, uh, with Taylor Ogan about you know some of the Chinese competitors out there that have really good autonomous systems. Um, and, and frankly some that within geofence locations um, can can handle things probably better than Tesla's current state can can handle. But in, in my mind, the question is how can you scale um, to provide, you know, level five robotaxi services um, you know, globally, or at least kind of within a large addressable market of say the United States, um, and do that at a relatively low cost such that your margins are you know, like reasonable. Yeah. I How don't... do you mass produce them?
0: How are you going to get to a place where Hearst can order a hundred thousand of them, right?
1: Yeah, so, exactly. And you can, you can, you know, produce them with a margin on your hardware and then you get software revenues as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so LIDAR costs are falling. That's a, that's a, you know, like a fair point, but, um, to, to me, it just makes sense that that you need to solve vision, like incredibly well, this is this is kind of that quote that uh, from Elon that I had on that on that Taylor open um, interview we did, but you, like, to, to have true autonomy, I do believe you need to have vision solved incredibly well. And at the point at which you've solved vision incredibly well, what's the point of lidar? Yeah. Um so you know I think there's reasonable questions of like you know the the B pillar camera versus maybe you need some hardware for that that could be could be true but we, you know I think we're going to have hardware for probably this time next year anyway um so I, I just you know I, there there may be others that are right now look like they're competitive or better uh under certain routes but um I think you need to look at rate of improvement and kind of what does that marketplace look like once You've actually solved it. What are your what's your cost structure? How big can you deploy that that technology, uh, or how wide can you deploy that technology? So, I think tesla is the clear clear winner there.
0: Yeah. Next question from Chris Rocket Lab. I looked into Pete Beck and Rocket Lab financials. Looks good. But isn't this also a bet in the growth of space services feels like a 10-year bet yeah i agree 100 percent this is a bet in the growth of space services and we are betting that rocket lab is number two behind spacex that's exactly what this is and um whether it's a five-year bet or a 10-year bet that's questionable um, but we are betting that investors uh consensus you know uh, at some point in the relatively near future six months 12 months 24 months out somewhere like in that range uh investors consensus will be that rocket lab is number two they'll they'll realize rocket lab will be number two you know maybe three to five years from then if not already like you know knocking on the door of spacex with a lot of contracts and such so that's kind of our our bet and and thesis on rocket lab uh, to a large degree is we're just trying to get to the you know greener pasture <laughs> so to speak I know Dave Lee has a metaphor with that so we're trying to get to the greener pasture on on space investing before others and I think Rocket Lab is a is a valid uh option for that um uh, Matt you have anything you want to say yeah the only thing I'd add
1: is you know we we talk a lot about kind of like options plays that that we have but in, in this case we've got um exposure to the to the stock into. Um, some long dated warrants which go out even further than the longest dated leaps do so um you know, we, we do view this as a, as a longer term option it wouldn't surprise me if, if that sentiment really changes in the next six to 12 months and of course we could always exit if, if that happens but um this is I, I do agree it may take some time to pan out so we, we don't have any sort of uh, exposure that can go to zero kind of the kind of the way uh, some
0: some leaps might traditionally yeah. do yeah, we're happy to hold on to this Rocket Lab position for a long time. Yeah, I mean, similar to holding on to Tesla from 2014 to 2019, took years to pan out. And we're going to yeah. keep studying Rocket Lab and and developing our conviction. And if we come across some other service, some other founder, some other company that we think could be competing, knocking on Rocket Lab's door and developing large services competitive or better than Rocket Lab, then we'll know, okay, maybe we should exit, exit Rocket Lab, maybe the thesis isn't right anymore but we're going to keep searching for that. And so far, we haven't found anything close to it. Yep. Tesla's green, by the way. All right. After, oh, (laughs) flat, flat to green, red, every other print. Okay. Next question, Matt, with Megapack factory ramping, what's your outlook on energy storage?
1: Yeah. So I'm not sure if everyone saw this, uh, chart that was in in the investor letter on the, the Q3 call, But there was a chart which was kind of eye popping. I think it was on page nine for anyone who who wants to pull it up. But uh, it was essentially a chart of their historic megapack uh, deployments. And it was, I forget the exact number, but it was a very small kind of like chart that was kind of growing, growing, growing. And then there was this massive bar, I think it was 35 gigawatt hours um, that was their planned, uh, this is the keyword, dedicated megapack um, capacity. So, you know the the energy side of the business has always kind of been what I've been calling the you know the redheaded stepchild of, of the energy business. It kind of got or of the of Tesla's business. It got whatever leftover cells were you know needed for you know uh, vehicle um, sales, uh, which has historically been not very many. Um, so they've always been kind of cell constrained um, on on megapack deployments. They've they've talked about at, at Battery Day. I think they said they had something like a two to three year megapack backlog. So it's like they, they, they've got more demand than they can handle. Uh, and so the financials and, and the deployments haven't looked that great just because they, they've not had the supply. Um, so I was frankly surprised that they were going to be building that much. I mean, 35 gigawatt hours is like the size of Giga Nevada. It's a huge amount of, uh, of capacity that they're bringing online solely for energy. Um, so I think you're going to see that probably surprise some people because, because most people, like if you look at the Adam Jonas notes, or if you look at uh, any of the wall street analysts out there, they put zero value on energy. They're just like, ah, it's small. And even if it grows, it, it rounds to zero. And I have some sympathy for that, that point of view. Um, but that's going to change in the next five years. And it's going to be a little bit of a slow burn. It's not like 2022 is going to come and all of a sudden there's like a billion dollars of, of energy gross margin. It's not going to happen that quickly, um, but it's going to be kind of this this steady um, chipping away. Um, and I think it's going to surprise people, um, especially how good the margins are. So I'm, I'm looking forward to um, that story because I think that's going to be really disruptive. I mean, I think a lot of energy companies have not felt the hurt of this transition yet. Um, but I think the pain is gonna start to really increase for the incumbents in this space, uh, which is
0: one of the big reasons I wanted to leave my whole job. <laughs> Good answer. All right. From Giru Thandapani, in order to make 20 million, I we'll make this the last question, it's almost 1045 here. So in order to make um, 20 million vehicles by 2030, Tesla must at least make 3.5 million vehicles by 2025. How soon tesla needs new giga factories to achieve this target i think tesla could expand its current factories to make 3.5 million vehicles a year like i think austin could be expanded to make one and a half million vehicles giga berlin could be expanded to make a million vehicles in shanghai and fremont could do the rest so i think they have the current footprint for factories you know they maybe have to build an expansion onto the Austin factory, you know, and maybe an expansion further into Giga Shanghai or something. And they're already planning, they said on the earnings call to, they have plans to try to increase output by up to 50% at Fremont. I think they said from 400,000 to 600,000 per year or something. So, and that's just in like the next year or two, you know, so by 2025, that's four years from now, three years, three to four years from now, I I don't see a problem with 3.5 million vehicles by 2025 with the current, uh, factory plans and um 20 million vehicles by 2030 yeah they're going to have to have the probably the gen 3 model up um released by then i would think uh, or not the gen 3 i mean the uh $25,000 version whatever they're going to call it um and they'll have they can expand a new giant factory in china pretty quickly maybe build another factory in the us and in india and somewhere else in europe you know so from 2025 to 2030 i think they focused on that a lot and then, you know, the current Model 3 Y XS Cybertruck lineup might do 5 million total vehicles per year by 2030 conservatively. And then the next generation um, lower cost model and deriv- you know derivatives of that model, whether it's a hatchback and other things, could do 10 to 15 million. Um, that's my thought. Um, what do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a, a huge problem to get there with, with 3.5 million under the kind of... Existing and announced plants. I, I, I agree with your take there. So, yeah, not, not much to, to really add. Yeah. I mean, when
0: Elon says something, you got to take it serious. You can't, he says they're aiming to do 20 million vehicles a year by 2030. They might do it before that. I mean, it, he's been off on his timelines in the past both ways, not just, you know, yeah. you know, so maybe they do 20 million, maybe because the demand is going to be off the hook. Maybe they figure out a way to do 20 million by 2028. You know, I don't know. But, um, Yeah, I mean, I I take it very seriously. There's 20 million a year by 2030. I think it's very, uh, uh, very possible, very likely, in my opinion. Yeah, I do, too.
1: And I mean, you kind of look at the the existing landscape. I mean, the existing kind of OEMs aren't really competing. Um, The the new companies out there. you know, probably Rivian and Lucid are the ones to look most closely at right now, by all accounts, they're struggling very mightily with production, which, you know, for all of us who who kind of lived through, you know, 2018, 2017, that shouldn't really be a surprise that they're struggling so much with production. It's very hard. Yes. And as Elon tweeted out yesterday, it's e- even harder to do it profitably. Um, yes. So, you know, Tesla's going to kind of, they've got this advantage already in, in their cost structure and um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have the most buying power for raw materials. They're gonna have the most, you know, uh, scale for you know these plants that are that are gonna be more efficient than you know a startup putting out you know fifteen thousand vehicles and trying to hopefully ramp up to like hundred thousand in twenty twenty three. They're gonna be at a severe disadvantage to to Tesla, you know, which is launching the twenty five thousand dollar vehicle by then. So yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's it's gonna be a matter of, of how they can execute on the supply side
0: not necessarily on on you know what's there on the demand side yeah and then don't forget the tesla bot <laughs> the <laughs> tesla bot prototype is supposed to be ready next year sometime 2022 the prototype's ready next year they might be taking orders as soon as next year and usually when they take orders it's like two to three years at most away from delivery you know barring the roadster you know which has been yeah delayed. i was gonna say how's your roadster <laughs> order doing yeah. it's been delayed for years but that's okay But, you know, and the fiber truck's been related, you know, three years, let's say that's the farthest, but usually the Model 3 or Model Y are like a year, two years out from when they take orders. And so if the Tesla bot, if they're going to start delivering or producing them in, let's say, 2024, 2025, you know, in early phases and maybe 2026, 2027 massively, I mean, the second half of this decade, manufacturing is going to look completely different than what it does now. Like ramping up manufacturing will be completely different, you know, like. You won't need nearly as much human labor. You won't need to train humans as much. You'll train, you know, I think there'll be Tesla bots doing things by the end of the decade. I mean, it's not going to be right off the bat, but, you know, a lot can be, a lot of advancement can be done in these Tesla bots over five years between 2024 and 2029 or whatever, when they first come out versus, you know, when they're being mass produced and refined and neural networked to the moon, you know? So it's (laughs) it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, neural network. Like you know, they will be you'll be able to download all kinds of stuff. So by the end of this decade, the world is going to be so different than what it is now. I mean, we're living in a time of technological acceleration, and that's sort of one of my um, I feel like advantages in investing is if you can have that mindset of like, okay, things are advancing faster than most people ex- expect because it's always getting faster than it has in the past, and if you can keep that in mind but also balance it with not being too excited that things are going to advance like so fast that like these Tesla bots are out next year. Obviously that's not the case, but by the end of the decade, I think very likely they're going to be out and about doing all kinds of stuff, you know? So you got to kind of balance it and figure out and then decide what the world's going to look like. And manufacturing is going to be so different. We don't even know, but it's going to be more efficient by a lot, a lot. That's that, that I do know. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting times.
1: You know, maybe before we end, I, I have been getting a lot of questions on on Bloom Energy since that that really spiked up yeah. yesterday. So maybe we can just address that real quickly here. Um sure. so you know, we we put out a short research paper on Bloom Energy. I don't know, was it three, four months ago, something like that? Maybe it was yeah. even a little bit longer. A
0: little longer. Um,
1: entered a short position around twenty-seven dollars. Um we ended up selling it, I think it was like around eighteen seventy, something like that. So we made a really yeah. nice Nice gain on that on that stock. Yeah. Um, you know, we just, we always try to like find asymmetries. And when it got down to that level, I think we had a price target of around 1250, um, but that, you know, the asymmetry doesn't look as good when you're, you know, yeah. when you're getting that close to your price target. So we uh, we closed out of that position, you know, we've been kind of monitoring it ever since, but then um, just yesterday, they announced a, a really large deal um, with this South Korean company for uh, 500 megawatts of of their fuel cells um, to essentially make hydrogen, uh, along uh, along with uh, electricity, so um, it's a it's a meaningful deal given given the size of um, Bloom's kind of existing revenue base. So I, I do think it's worth kind of um, a deeper dive in, and, and we probably need to reevaluate our our short thesis, even though we don't have a position right now. Um, but you know that said, they they still have I think probably a, a, Unrealistically high uh, cost for the customer, so I'm, I'm going to have a I have a hard time kind of believing they'll they'll really be competitive, or get much scale. Um, and then the fact that they're like are all these hydrogen bulls out there that think like hydrogen is going to be the next big thing, and and I do think that there's a space for hydrogen, especially in kind of some industrial use cases like say steel making where like have, you just need massive quantities of of. Um, BTUs. And it's hard to get that from, you know, solar or wind. Um, so there are some liquid fuels where the kind of the, the density of the energy hydrogen might make sense for those use cases. So I think it'll be a small niche. And it's possible that bloom could be a winner within that, what I think will be a very small niche. Um, but we'll do some more digging. And and I think it to to my mind, um, like focusing on hydrogen and, and kind of committing to this incredibly expensive Like capital cost technology that they have, it's not going to be um, cost effective at scale. And I think that their current valuation is probably still overvalued. But like I said, we'll dig into that a little bit more and maybe provide some commentary on this deal in the future. But just since we put that out there publicly, wanted to kind of share our thoughts in in real time.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. And a lot of people have been asking us about Rocket Lab and such, and we'll field more questions as time goes on with that. But definitely a lot of people I don't think are familiar with our website, goodsoilinvestment.com. And on that website, we post some of our research in the articles section. There's a our research is on the Rocket Lab is there. It's a couple of pages long and sort of uh, succinctly explains uh, kind of our thesis on Rocket Lab. So um, with that, I guess we'll we'll talk to everyone next week and uh, we'll see where Tesla stock price is uh, next week, a week from now. Uh, it's been a wild ride just today, so we'll, we'll keep a close eye on it. All right, all right. Uh, thanks everyone.